Welcome to another podcast from The Raven Narratives. My name is Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson, and we're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. I am so excited to share this next story with you. It's so powerful. You're going to love it. It was told at the last Raven Narratives event that we had in March when the theme was trust. It was told by Aliza Cruz, a former naval explosives chemist turned high school math teacher. Aliza grew up in the cities on the Ring of Fire and is brand new to both small town and mountain living. She moved to Durango in 2015 with an enormous dog and an enormouser question about what it would mean to live almost a thousand miles from the ocean. Aliza will eat anything twice, has solo skydived 226 times. So badass. I, yeah, that's crazy. It's amazing. That is crazy. And now she knows that not all cows are black and white, and so we'll never mistake a cow for a baby buffalo again. That's an important distinction to make. It is really important. Good for her. Here's Aliza's story. I am a military brat who grew up an hour south of Tokyo in the 90s. And it's been a long time since I was that little asshole running around Yokosuka Naval Base. But um, when you're a military brat, one, you're either American or you're not. And two, the color of your skin has no connection with your right to identify as an American. When I was eight years old, my older brother accidentally abandoned me off base. And what you need to know is that when you turn 10, when you're a military brat, it's way more important than when you're a civilian because in addition to reaching the double digits, you get your very own super grown-up military-dependent ID card. But I'm not 10 in the story, I'm eight, so I don't have an ID card, and I can't go off base by myself. Um, so my older brother and I um, were going to go off base, and this was super. This was a big deal for us as a kid because when we were kids, because um, we didn't get to go off base without our parents that often. Um, so we were in a rush that morning, and I forgot my jacket. Um, but I didn't mind the goosebumps because I was on my way to buy a brand new box of Milky Pens and a hundred of those erasers shaped like sushi that don't really erase anything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But on our way back to the base, we were greeted by a massive protest. And um, things seem much more grandiose when you're eight, but I remember thinking there were a thousand people there. And they were chanting, Yankee, go home. So I asked my brother, what's a Yankee? And he says, we're Yankees. Yankees are Americans. And so I stopped to look at this crowd of people who were moving as one and stomping their feet and bouncing their picket signs, and they looked so angry. And I also remember being totally confused because we moved to Japan when I was five, and it was the only home that I remembered. Um, So I got really overwhelmed after a while, and I turned around to continue following my brother, and he was gone. He ended up coming back for me. Um, But for about 20 minutes, I sat outside of the gate with my arms wrapped around my knees, feeling lonely and scared that I was on the wrong side of the gate. And the gate guard, who was probably newly enlisted and in his early 20s, wouldn't let me in. And I'm Asian. I'm not Japanese, but I am Asian, and I speak perfect English, but I didn't have an ID to prove that I was an American. 
And in hindsight, I didn't make a connection between the way that I looked and whether I was an American or not. I just knew that I belonged on that side of the gate. I was a Yankee. Um, and so at a really young age, I lived and experienced and felt the negativity and hatred of one country's people against me as an American, even though I lived there and it too was my home. Ten years later, I'm 18 and a freshman at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And um, this is the first time that I realized that white American and non-white American are not always the same thing. So I'm sitting in one of those stale common areas that colleges like to pretend students actually like to hang out in. <laughs> Um, with about with four other freshmen who are in my multivariable calculus class, and we start talking about our professor's Indian accent. And this guy from Oklahoma, I'm going to call him Patrick, says, "If we let you move here, you damn well better learn to speak right." It's bullshit that I have to pay money to learn from someone who can't speak English properly. Why don't they hire American professors? And I remember thinking two things. One, um, my mother fell in that category of people he was talking about. My mom speaks, she has an amazing grasp of the English language, but she does speak with a really heavy accent. The second thing I remember thinking was that he wasn't talking about me, because I speak with a Californian accent. Um, but did my professor's Indian accent necessitate that he wasn't American? Or was Patrick casually expressing racist views? And really his question was, why don't they hire people who look and sound like me? 10 years later, I'm 28 and living in Durango. It's the end of my first year here. Um, and I'm about to go to the Wild Horse for the first time. And um, I'm so excited for my first time in a cowboy bar. And my friend Renee gets me all gussied up in her bootcut jeans with the sparkly stuff on the butt <laughs> and a blouse with more sparkly stuff and her big shiny belt and shiny jewelry and her grandmother's beautiful buttery leather boots. And um, I am excited to learn to two-step. Um, so we go to the Wild Horse, and in order, it's my friend Renee, her boyfriend, and our friend Chris. Um, sorry, that's not true. My friend Renee, her boyfriend, me, and then our friend Chris. And the three of them are white. <clears throat> so we go in, and Renee says to the woman behind the counter, I'm going to pay for myself and the three people behind me. So she takes Renee's ID and lets her in, takes her boyfriend's ID and lets him in, looks at me, then moves on to Chris, takes his ID and lets him in. And before I can say anything, she calls out to Renee, hey, who's the fourth person you're paying for? So I hold up my ID and I'm like, hi, I'm the fourth person. And she looks at my ID and says even louder, hey, who's the fourth person you're paying for? So I look straight at her and I'm like, here's my ID. Those are my friends. And instead of acknowledging that I've even said anything, she leaves the counter, goes to tap Renee on the shoulder and says, who's the fourth person you're paying for? And so Renee turns around and says as if it's obvious, which it is to anyone who's paying attention because I'm literally the only person standing there, that's the fourth person. Um, so when I went to join my friends at the table, I look back over at this woman and she's talking to the security guard. 
And he low-key follows me around all night. I can feel him watching me. And then he not so low-key follows me to the bathroom, waits outside for me to finish, and then follows me back out onto the dance floor. And he did that twice. And I sat there for three or four hours in immense discomfort, which was so sad because I was so excited to be there in the hours leading up to walking to the wild horse. Um, and I couldn't tell my friends what happened because they were having so much fun, but the reality is that even if they had seen it, they wouldn't have recognized it for what it was because it wasn't in their reality ever. And that feeling sat with me for a really long time, but I got over it until it came back the Sunday after the circus that was the 2016 presidential election. And I met South City Market. Um, and my phone will not stop ringing because I love my family, but they talk to each other way too much. And <laughs> my group text is going crazy. So on my way out, I pull out my phone to text everyone to stop texting me. And I accidentally shoulder check hard this guy who's walking back in. And I look over, and he's dressed like a cowboy, and we make eye contact, and he says, watch it, rice nigger. Did he really just say that to me? And all of the feelings from the wild horse came flooding back of self-doubt, of confusion, of fear. And every time I saw a cowboy after that, I assumed he didn't like me. And uh, there was one Wednesday in early December when I drove to South City Market and I sat in the parking lot and I could not bring myself to go in. <clears throat> the point of all of this isn't that I hate white people. Um, it's that my understanding of what it means to be an American has evolved several times and I'm 29 now. Um, I grew up proud and strong in my identity as an American, and it wasn't until that identity was strained and challenged by others that I was able to stand firmly in it. My understanding of patriotism lines up with everyone else who's proud to be an American, as do my values and the fact that several generations of my family served in the military. But being a first-generation immigrant means that if my dad wasn't in the service, I would have grown up in a third world country instead of on a naval base in Japan. But because others question it, I have to continually process my status as an American because you can't look at me and know that I am one. So what does it mean to be an American? It's not reciting a pledge or raising a flag. To me, it means embracing all of my identities because they tie into this really beautiful idea that the United States is a place where everyone is accepted. And I trust in that so deeply that all of my identities will be loved and accepted and valued here. And in those identities, which used to just be an American woman but have grown to include my identities as an Asian, as a Filipina, as a, as a first-generation immigrant, it means that I value and respect the honors and sacrifices, perhaps even more, than those who were born with the luxury of acceptance. Thank you.
thanks so much to Eliza for that story. If you have a story like Eliza's to pitch for the Raven Narratives, please do so on our website. Just go to the contact page at ravennarratives.org. You can also hear more stories there and find out more information about what we're up to here at the Raven Narratives. And we would love it if you want to subscribe to our podcast. You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also leave comments. We love to read the comments and see what you guys are thinking about. And of course, share it with your friends and family. And the other thing you'll want to check out on our website is the amazing photo gallery. Photos taken by McCarson Jones of Red Scarf Shots Photography. You can find out more about her work at redscarfshots.com. She does just an amazing job of capturing essence of our storytellers here at the Raven Narratives. Very powerful. And as always, Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. You can find out more about KSJD at ksjd.org. And come on by. Share a story with me. That is amazing that you just said that. (laughs) I've really changed over the course of this podcast season. I'm now open to people visiting. Tom now wants people to visit. Now you got to jump on that, people. (laughs) (laughs) See you soon. (laughs) 